We're, all, we're almost there then, eh? We're almost there. A couple of weeks to go, 14 days till Christmas. I think that's 13 shopping days, right? Is that how it works? Um, so has everybody got other Christmas shopping? Good. You're, you're lucky. I've got to say, like, this, this running is now, like, I feel my stress levels rising because I've got some of it but not all of it. So um, it's interesting we talk about peace and goodwill and that sort of thing. And in the last run-up to Christmas, everybody's panicking like, like Maddie's trying to get their uh, last-minute shopping in. So, but anyway, we're, it's important, though, isn't it, that in amongst all the biz that we're doing, and I know it's a cliche, but um, is it Jesus is the reason for the season, right? We say that almost with tongue-in-cheek and cheesy, and we hear it every year. But, you know, as followers of Jesus, we have to almost, like, consciously get ourselves to, like, funnel in and focus and concentrate on the fact that Christmas for us is a celebration of the coming of the incarnate God, Jesus, um, to save the sins of the world. And we've been going through the past few weeks, going through Christmas characters, some that are a bit less well-known in the Christmas story. Um, but we've done Joseph. Did we, did we look at Mary last week? Is that what I did last week? Aye, Joseph, Mary. So we're into the main players now. And, and today, today we're going to talk about Jesus, who's very much a main character in the, in the Christmas story. Um, so let me just, let me just read um, Luke chapter 2, first seven verses, just to set the scene um, for where we're at. So it says this, At that time, the Roman Emperor Augustus decreed that a census should be taken throughout the Roman Empire. This was the first census taken when Quirinius was governor of Syria. All returned to their own ancestral towns to register for this census. So this census is like the polar, the polar opposite of when we do our census here. We do it all online now. You have to travel to the town, not, not necessarily the town you were born, but the town where your ancestors came from. And because Joseph was a descendant of King David, he had to go to Bethlehem in Judea, David's ancient home. He traveled there from the village of Nazareth in Galilee. He took with him Mary, to whom he was engaged, who is now expecting a child. And while they were there, the time came for her baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no lodging available for them. A well-known story, right? So, but that's the scene we're in. That's the context of what we're looking at today. And I think I've said this a few times over the past few weeks. When it comes to Christmas... I'm always thinking about what am I going to say this year that I haven't said before? What, what angle am I going to take? What slant am I going to put on the Christmas story? And there's always a tension around Christmas and Easter about what to say because it feels like we've heard it all, we've said it all, and we know it all, right? It's, you know, they're so well-known stories. What can you really say that hasn't already been said? How do you tell the same story over and over and over again? But then, I was actually thinking about it, that's pretty much what we do every week anyway, isn't it? We, we, we come to church, we sing a lot of the same songs to the same God, we say the same things. There's a lot of things we do throughout the year, week on week, that are repetitive, it's the same story over and over again. And yet, I've got to say that every week I come here and I worship with you guys, I don't feel tired of it. I don't feel like it's just going through 
same old, same old. I don't feel the pressure of having to say something new or sing something new because he's worthy, right? He's worthy of all glory, honor, and praise. And if we say the same words of praise to him week in, week out, if we are focused on him, it's just as fresh as it was the first time that we said it. And it's a joy and a privilege that myself and others get to share the message of Jesus with you guys on a weekly basis. In essence, most weeks what we talk about is the same message, isn't it? It's about the love of Jesus. It's about Jesus who came to take away the sins of the world, to rescue um, the, his creation, to, to, to redeem the lost and to bring his kingdom back into authority on this earth. That's really what we talk about most weeks. So quite often... It's the same story that we're talking about. It just comes sometimes with a different emphasis, a different focus, or a different slant. We're always looking for a different way of seeing who Jesus is and what the call of God is on our lives. And that's okay because if we were to continue talking about Jesus from now till the end of time, we still wouldn't cover everything there is to know about him. We still wouldn't be able to cover everything that he's done for us everything that he, he will do for us and everything that he's currently doing right now in our lives and in our world. So what's, so what's the hook today? What's the, what's the slant on this story today? Well, today it's about Jesus. It's about Jesus. Okay, so I'm not going to try and be clever about it. Today we are going to talk about Jesus in the Christmas story. So we've just read from Luke 2 about Jesus' birth. And there's an interesting set of circumstances here. So we know that there's a census being called in Israel. And Joseph has to head to his ancestral city. Now, I always wonder in this story, so we know that we have this kind of picture of the nativity story where Mary and Joseph arrive in Bethlehem. And it's like they're knocking door to door, trying to find somewhere to spend the night, right? That's the picture we have. And then it's like they get to the very last place and there's no rooms left and there's a, a friendly innkeeper says, I'll tell you what I've got. I've got a shed, a barn, a, a stable out in the backyard. Why don't you come and sleep there? And that's kind of like what the story's like. And it's kind of romanticized and it's a bit kind of, you know, it's got that kind of foggy atmosphere around it, you know, and make it all quite almost romantic. One thing I've, that's always puzzled me with the, the story of, of um, Joseph Mary coming into Bethlehem is Joseph is going to his ancestral home, the town where all his ancestors are from. Was there no one there that he knew? Did he not have family there? My, my mom and dad are from Ayrshire. I've never lived there, but they're from Ayrshire and all of their, I don't know how many generations go back, but I know it's at least three, maybe four generations go back. Both sides of my family are from Ayrshire. And when I go there, norm, normally these days it's the funeral, sadly, but normally when I go back um, to Ayrshire, like, I would never be stuck for somewhere to visit, somewhere to sleep, somewhere to eat a meal, someone to talk to. I, I, would, be, I would be welcomed because that's kind of like my ancestral home. That would be kind of equivalent for Joseph going to Bethlehem as me going to Ayrshire. And I've got people there that I maybe don't know that well, but they would embrace me as family. And I'm thinking like, Joseph must have had that in Bethlehem. 
Yeah? That, does that make sense? Right? Just logically think. We don't know, but just you would think that would be the case. So why did they have no one they could have stayed with? And I'm wondering, like, what, were Joseph's family maybe embarrassed or ashamed that Joseph was turning up to Bethlehem with his pregnant fiance? Were they looking at Joseph and, and looking at the decisions he'd taken about Mary's pregnancy, we spoke about a couple of weeks ago, and his family, or his extended family, decided, no, we can't be associated with you. And maybe because of that, he couldn't stay with family. And, and, and maybe as well, he arrived there, and because it became known that he's there with a, a pregnant woman who's not his wife, that when he's knocking in the doors of strangers or hotels or inns, they're also looking, thinking, no, we, we don't want your sort here. Yeah? You ever thought of that? So I do wonder, were his family ashamed of him? Were Joseph and Mary just made not welcome? It's interesting, I'm not going to look at this today, but if you go back to the book of Isaiah, this is all prophesied that Jesus, the Son of God, would be born in shame, poverty, and I guess, if you like, unpopularity. And we know as well that Joseph wasn't a man of means. So he wasn't going to be able to fix this situation with money. We know that they, they, they couldn't have had a lot of money because they walked from Nazareth to Bethlehem. Well, Joseph did, and Mary was sat on a donkey. And they had nowhere to stay. Was it because the hotels were fully booked? Could have been, but was it because people just didn't want their sort, their kind, in their buildings? Maybe the hotel owners just blatantly said to them, we don't want people like you in the premises. We don't want to be associated with you. You've been around here as bad for business. And so because of this, they end up in the backyard of an inn. We're not sure exactly what this structure was, but it's, a, it's like a barn or a stable. And, and they're with the animals and bales of hay. Remember, this is a a young teenage couple with a heavily pregnant, one of, well, she's heavily pregnant as a, young, as, a, as a teenager, and this is what they're put into. And then Jesus is born in a disgusting, smelly place with hail bays and farm animals. You know, Jesus was born in shame. He was born with a a focus of shame all around him. And you know, he also died in shame. He, 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 he left as he entered. He died. He was born in shameful circumstances and he died in shameful circumstances. Remember, he was crucified as a common criminal between two thieves. His entry and exit were both shrouded in shame, at least in the eyes of people who didn't know him, or the eyes of people who were looking on him. He was born into poverty. He didn't have privilege or wealth. He didn't have influential parents. Joseph was a manual worker. He was a carpenter. He probably worked long, hard hours for people much wealthier than he was and paid a pittance for the work that he did. Yet this impoverished baby born in amongst muck and animals 
and the backyard of an inn was the son of the living God. The baby who came into the world in humiliation is the one who John the Baptist described as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. A humiliating birth and a humiliating death. And I was thinking, Jesus often referred to, this is just a wee side, okay, but Jesus often referred to as the second Adam. And I was thinking, if you think about the way that Adam entered into the world, Adam entered into the world with the fullness of the kingdom of God at his disposal. The whole earth was at his fingertips. He had the resources of everything that God had created. He, was, he had authority over it. He had control, if you like. He had all the resources of, of the Garden of Eden. He had all the resources that God had created. He literally had the whole world at his fingertips, yet he chose to bring sin into the world. Contrast that with Jesus. Jesus came in, he had nothing, yet he chose to take away the sins of the world. Just a thought I had that you can maybe ponder on later. You see, the birth of Jesus is God saying, I love you people so much that I'm going to send my son into this world, a world that's not always nice, into a world that is really messed up with sin, into a world that doesn't accept who my son is. But you know what? I love you, and because of that love, I'm going to sacrifice everything because that's what love does. And so why did God do this? Why did he lower himself to such, not just to become human, but to become the lowest of the low in human terms. There's only one reason that he did this, and it's because he loves us. He did it out of love. He's saying, I want to adopt you into my family. So I'm going to send my child, my child who's out sin, without sin, I'm going to send him into the world. And although he will start humbly, and he will start with humiliation, he is going to be the one. He is the one. You know the story of Zacchaeus, right? Zacchaeus is a tax collector, supposed to be a little guy. Nothing wrong with being a little guy, by the way. Um, but he was a tax collector. And um, not, not that tax collectors are particularly popular nowadays, right? But they were... They were inherently corrupt in these days. So, so if you were a tax collector, you were basically living off commission. And usually it was like corrupt commission. You would take the, the tax on the people and you kept some of it for yourself. And it was kind of like a known practice. So tax collectors were really unpopular. I'll just come back to that in, in a second. But Jesus visited with uh, Zacchaeus. So we know the story. He he wanted to see Jesus, but because he was a short guy, a wee guy, like I say, nothing wrong with that, he climbed a tree so he could look above the heads of the people to get a, a look at Jesus. So it says, if we go into Luke 19, the story continues this. So Zacchaeus, sorry, Jesus saw him in the tree and, and, and invited himself to his house. I'll tell you what, if you're going to get a gate crasher, Jesus is a pretty good gate crasher, isn't it? I'm coming round. He didn't wait for an invitation. He says, I'm coming round. So, because of that, Zacchaeus quickly climbed down and took Jesus to his house in great excitement and joy, but the people were displeased. He has gone to be the guest of a notorious sinner, they grumbled. 
Meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, I will give half my wealth to the poor, and if I have cheated people in their taxes, I will give them back four times as much. And Jesus responded, Salvation has come to this home today, for this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. Now here's the clincher. Jesus said, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save those who are lost. That's a really simple statement. And again, it's like, it's like a well-known phrase or saying about Jesus. He came to seek and to save those who are lost. But it's such a deep and kind of profound, like solemn description of who Jesus is because it gets to the very root and the very heart of his purpose and also the very root and the heart of the promises of God that he would send a saviour to save the world. And that's the gospel message. That's the gospel message. That's the reason that Jesus came. And he has come, right? That's why we celebrate Christmas. Jesus has come. He entered our world, and the infinite, the infinite became finite. The, etern- the eternal, the eternal one invaded time. And the coming of Jesus is the incarnation of God in human flesh. He's Emmanuel, God with us. He's Jesus, the one who saves. We know this, right? But how often do we think about that? How often do we forget that the kind of core reason, the core message of the gospel, as we call it, is that Jesus Christ came into the world not just to save, but to seek and to save, to look out for those who are lost. That's why Jesus invited himself to Zacchaeus' house. That's why he said, I'm coming round to yours. Because Jesus was looking for him. Zacchaeus is kind of hiding up the tree. Loads of people there. Jesus spotted them. And went there. Jesus came looking for someone. And we think about it. This is what our God is like, isn't it? He's continually in pursuit of us. He's continually looking for people. He's, he's like the woman who lost a coin, searched her house until she found it. He's like the man who lost one sheep and went out into the wilderness to find that lost sheep. And he's like the father who welcomed the prodigal son back home again. Jesus has come looking for someone. He's come looking for you. He's come looking for the people you know and love, the people you're in contact with on a daily basis. He came seeking sinners in a tree. He came seeking sinners at midnight. He came seeking the women at the well. Jesus came seeking those caught in adultery, blind beggars, lepers, wild men living in tombs, He came seeking the self-righteous, the arrogant, the rich, the poor. He came seeking fishermen, politicians, radicals, physicians, tax collectors, rich men at the top of their game, and poor people that no one would touch. He sought prostitutes and those struggling with addictions. He sought sinners of all varieties. He came seeking sinners, and that's you, and that's me. Jesus came seeking after what? was lost the people don't like to admit that they're lost right I mean like the invention of the sat nav right is the actual embodiment of the fact that people don't like to admit that they get lost and 
I'm, I'm pretty bad at it. I don't, I don't like Lorraine. I don't like Lorraine giving me directions at the best of times, but I don't like her giving me directions in the car because I'm a guy. I've got a sense of direction. I know where I'm going. But we don't like to admit when we're lost. We don't like to admit when we're lost. But you know, if we don't have God, we are totally lost. If we don't have God, we are totally lost. Isaiah 53 tells us what being lost is. Verse 6, Isaiah 53 says, All of us like sheep have strayed away. We have left God's paths to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. Our very nature compels us to go our own way, to do our own thing. And we're probably living in times where that has never been more prevalent. You know, the, the need of the individual now usurps the need of society. Yeah? Right? The need of the individual is held in higher regard and higher value than the need of society. We become very self-centered. When you start hearing phrases like, my truth, you know we're in trouble. You can't have two... You can have two versions of an event, but you can only have one truth, you know. And, and we've, we've, we've now can almost distilled centuries of human living down to this, that the individual is more important than the collective, or certainly the individual's needs are more important than the collective. Our very nature is to go our own way. No one has to stand up in front of a church or any other group of people and teach people how to run from God. We just instinctively do it. And if Jesus hadn't come to us, we would never have come to him. You see, this is why Christmas is important. This is why the birth of Jesus is important because if he didn't come to us, we wouldn't have gone to him. And it's kind of funny often because sometimes when when people come to faith and they find Jesus, they actually didn't realize they were lost. <laughs> they didn't realize they're lost. But then something happens. Jesus enters their life, or they have an awareness of Jesus enters their life, maybe because of someone they know who's a Christian, or he's talking to them about Jesus, and suddenly that awareness of Jesus brings a sense of lostness, and they realize that's the conviction of the Holy Spirit, and it draws them to Jesus. Maybe we don't know we're lost until we know someone's looking for us. And we've got a world out there that's lost. And we've got a saviour who's looking for the people of this world. See, if Christ didn't come for us, we would never have come to him. But you know, when we run from God, God runs after us. Seeking us to save us. When we run from God, God comes running after us. See, Jesus left heaven to make his home among us, to reveal God to us, and to show us the true nature of the Father. In Jesus, we see and experience God's love. We experience his mercy, his power, his holiness, his grace, and his courage. Jesus Christ came to save that which was lost.
And what excuse could you give that would satisfy God if we don't say yes to Jesus? How would we explain to the Father our rejection of his Son? What sufficient reason would we have for saying no to God? You see, in John 3, 16 and 17, it says, This is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only Son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. God sent his Son into the world not to judge the world but to save the world through him. Judgment's easy. To condemn is easy. I have this kind of notion that it's quite obvious. I actually think it's easier to talk about what you're against than what you're for. To talk about what you're against isn't that difficult. To talk about what you're for takes some courage. God sent his son to the world not to condemn us but to save us so that we might have life today and life eternally. When we believe in Jesus, at that very moment we say yes to him, our sins are forgiven, we are pardoned, we are freed, we're grafted onto the tree of life as part of God's family, we're chosen, we're loved more than we could ever imagine and we become children of the almighty God. Yeah? You with me with this? You believe this stuff? Yeah. Have you, you've experienced this. We know it. And sometimes when I, when I look at this, I think, man, I can hardly believe this. I can hardly believe that I'm a part of this. But that's the gospel. The gospel is that no matter how bad our lives have been, no, how, no matter how sinful we have been, we've been saved. And there's people we know and love, all of us, who maybe aren't even that, they're not bad people. Maybe some are. But regardless of that, we know that Jesus has come to seek and to save them. If you qualify as lost, or if you know someone who qualifies as lost, then you're an excellent candidate to be saved. If you know someone who is lost, they're an excellent, excellent candidate to be saved because Jesus Christ came to seek them. When we look back on Jesus' entry into the world and humiliation and poverty. It reminded me, Kenny referenced a verse last week in Galatians 2 in relation to the, the work we do through Love Falkirk. And he spoke about a, a, a situation where Peter, Peter, uh, Paul and Barnabas were, were just going, they were, they were heading off to start planting churches and so they went to James, Peter, and John. Now remember, James, Peter, and John are like Jesus' closest in our circle. They're, they're the disciples that he confided in more than most. So Paul and Barnabas went to um, Peter, James, and John. Pick the story up in Galatians 2. 
James, Peter, and John, who were known as pillars of the church, recognized the gift God had given me. That's Paul talking. And they accepted Barnabas and me as their co-workers. They encouraged us to keep preaching to the Gentiles where they continued their work with the Jews. And they said their only suggestion, so this is their advice for church planting, was that we keep on helping the poor, which I've always been eager to do. And I was thinking about that this week, because obviously Kenny mentioned it last, last Sunday. And I was thinking about that in the context of Jesus and why the poor were so interwoven in his, in his words and in his actions. Remember when Jesus kind of like, um, he did the, like, it was almost like the big reveal when he declared himself as, as the Messiah and he went to the temple and he read the prophecy from Isaiah which said the spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me and then one of the key lines in that is to bring good news to the poor. He didn't talk about overthrowing kingdoms or being a king or it was to bring good news to the poor. You see, Jesus wasn't a king he went to the poor. He was a poor child who was a king and continued to live with the poor. See, Jesus didn't look at the poor and think, that's, that's a people group that I need to reach or that's a people group that I need to go to. Jesus was one of them. He was born in a trough. Well, he was born in a hay bale probably and he was laid in a trough beside smelly animals. His parents were shunned because they apparently brought shame on their family. He had the most impoverished, impoverished start to life that anyone could ever have. And yet he's the king of glory. He's the creator of the world. He put himself in a position where he became lower than the low. Why? So that he could seek out us and save us. And it also, because we were worshipping this morning, Kenny mentioned something about injustice. I don't know exactly what you said, but he did mention injustice. And this thought came out of my head because I knew what I was going to talk about this morning. And, and I just quickly noted it down on my phone. And I thought, and I'm thinking like, there's something connected between injustice and poverty, isn't there? Like the, one of the things that drives us with Love Falkirk and raising money for Christmas gifts and hampers and food pantries and everything else we do, there's something there that injustice is tied into that. And I just had this phrase come into my head, is that the reason I believe that Jesus focuses and talks about the poor so much is because poverty is where injustice thrives. Poverty is fertile ground for injustice. Yeah? Yeah? If you eradicate poverty, you eradicate a lot of injustice. And we see it and we feel it. And I think that's what compels us. And I think it's a good compulsion. But if we're truly going to tackle injustice, then we can't do it just by doing good things. We need to proclaim Jesus. 
we need to tell people that Jesus has come to seek and to save those who are lost, those who are poor, those who are humiliated, those who are shamed, those who are being trampled under injustice. That's the message. And that's the message of Christmas. It's not a romanticized Christmas card, you know, bobble on a tree. It's not what Christmas is. Christmas is the good news that Jesus Christ has come into the world as one of us to seek and to save those who are lost. Yeah? Is that encouraging? Right? It feels quite heavy in the room. But I find this really encouraging because I think what it's done for me is given me a wee bit of kind of clarity and a bit of focus. Because what happens is we get really busy. But this past few weeks for me, I don't, if you ask me what I'm busy doing, I'm not really sure. But I'm doing bits and pieces here for lots of different things around Christmas. And sometimes I do have to stop and check myself thinking, what, what is it you're actually doing here, Andrew? What are you actually doing here? Why, 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 what is all this effort to raise money for kids, gift, gift cards for kids? What's that all about? It's about redeeming the lost. It's about redeeming the lost. And guys, will you pray for us this, this week, for me and Lindsay and Ruth, as we sit with social work? Because I think we need to tell them. One, one of the things that happens is when I met the guys before Falkirk Delivers, when I was getting my photo shoot with the Herald, was um, the, Love Falkirk is well known in the town. They, they know who we are. Do you know one of the things I've got to keep emphasizing is that Love Falkirk is the compassion ministry of Falkirk Vineyard Church. And the reason we do it is because Jesus has sent us to bless the poor. I've got to keep saying it because if not, we just look like any other. There's loads of people out there doing better things than we're doing in terms of provision. But we're the ones with Jesus. And we've got to keep, I feel like I've got to keep emphasizing that every time I'm in front of a non-church organization. They say, guys, this is why we do it. And when we go to meet the social work on Tuesday, we're going to tell them this is why we do it. Because it's not just about feeding people. It's about saving, saving people. It's about redeeming people. It's about going after the lost and, and introducing them to Jesus so he can bring them home. What, what a way to say Merry Christmas. We find in Jesus, yeah?